You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z. And on today's show, we have a most talented musician, multi-instrumentalist, studio owner, songwriter, wears many hats, even a little film. We'll get to all that later. But right now, welcome John David Schrader. John, welcome to The Rick Z Show. Thank you guys so much for having me. Really appreciate it. It's a pleasure to have you here. I love your new album. I've been listening to it. Uh, We'll get to that a little bit later, too. But I want to ask you, you play a lot of instruments. You play saxophone, you're a bass player, keyboards, guitar. I mean, lots of stuff. Are you a self-taught musician, or did did you learn to play these by lesson? How'd you do it? Originally, I started playing, actually, the violin was the first thing I started playing in third grade. And I continued playing through school, but... I didn't like the violin. By the fourth grade, I switched over to the drums. Played the drums all through my uh, public school education. In high school, I actually started teaching myself guitar and piano. And then uh, I graduated high school. I got a scholarship that I didn't even know about. I didn't even apply for. Come to find out, it was a um, guidance counselor that I knew in high school. He, uh, He knew I was interested in music and didn't have any money to go to college or anything. So he signed me up for this scholarship. Lo and behold, I won the scholarship. So that sent me to music school for two years. And it was there that I kind of started picking up all the different uh, instruments that I played, like in a formal setting. But I've always had kind of a compulsion when it comes to musical instruments. When I, if I'm around one, I feel like I have to pick it up and see how, how it moves and makes noise. And I was always that way, even from a little kid. I had that kind of obsession. So initially self-taught, but then when I went to college, I kind of picked or did it, uh, you know, through the institutions. Well, you certainly can play them. You went to college where? Where'd you go to school? Uh, first, uh, Ulster uh, Community College. Uh, then transferred to Crane School of Music. Uh, actually didn't like it there. Came back to Kingston. Uh, it was at that point that I was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, I was I got accepted also to Berkeley, or I'm sorry, Juilliard in New York, St. Rose in Albany, and it was at that point that I was diagnosed with uh, testicular cancer. Uh, so that kind of set me back. So uh, I actually never finished like a, a further degree in music, but uh, once I had gotten through the cancer and all the treatments and all that, it set me back a number of years. I went back to school. <clears throat> to New Paltz. Uh, I then got a my second, first degree in music from Ulster. Second degree was in film and media, post-production, audio production, post-production. That was my, uh, yeah, the second degree. And then upon graduating, they actually hired me to teach in the department. And I taught there for, I believe, three semesters. And then I just felt like I was, you know, teaching kids to do things that I wasn't doing. So I just wanted to stop. And then I was in uh, New York and all over freelancing. Well, first of all, you're an interviewer's dream because you got you're very articulate and you have a lot of information. And by the way, you, you just answered my first seven questions. <laughs> I was going to say that's a nice way of saying shut up, buddy. Let, let me. T- <laughs> no, no, we got plenty to talk about. There's, you can you can talk about this as much as you want. It's not going to affect me. I, I got plenty to ask. So, what were your degrees in? You had one in music, but is it music Correct. theory? Is it performance? Is it bass? I mean, what, what is it exactly? It was a dual major in um, music education education and performance. My performance major instrument was actually percussion, but when you're in school for music, you have your major that you, you, you know, you major in whatever instrument it is, your primary, yeah. but then you also have to take brass classes and woodwind classes and piano classes and all that kind of stuff, So, which I loved, picking up all these different instruments, and I played piano in a, in a jazz quintet when I was there, and, you know, so I tried to get my, my feet dipped in any kind of water I could at the point. 
Well, it really helped because now you're a one-man band and you play all these instruments in your studio, JLS Studios over in Kingston. Let's talk about your studio for a second. You refer to it as a project studio. I mean, there's a couple different types. you got your commercial studio, you got a project studio. For our listeners, will you explain the difference? Uh, Well, project studios are usually studios that people have in their house. They're usually on the smaller side. Um, Some are acoustically treated, some are not. You get into the commercial studios, and that's those are the larger studios, and they have more of an ability to take clients in. Um, my studio is in the upper floor of my house, and I have it set up basically for myself. Um, I've had a lot of people want to come in, and, and they've heard my recordings, and they want me to engineer stuff for them, but I, I'm always wrapped up in doing my stuff, yeah, either yeah. my music or, or um, you know, for film and television. Do a lot of people record there or some, you know, friends or that like the sound of your album and said, you know, I kind of would like to record there. Can you produce something for me? Right. I've gotten it many times. Unfortunately, I usually say no because I'm always involved in in my stuff. The only thing I've really, when, when the band uh, was together, I stopped the band just recently to, to sink myself into this, to the new record because it's gotten to the point where I just can't do everything on my own it's just so exhausting i mean once you get done writing the records and my music is always based on since i was a a kid it's always been based on pains that i've gone through in life i just can't write i guess a happy song you'd say (laughs) so by the time you bleed out for writing the song now you're arranging the song then you're uh, playing all the different instruments on the song you're engineering the song as you go and you're doing all the vocals which that uh, can exhaust you to, to begin with. And then you get the record done, and now you're in the marketing phase. Once it's out getting mastered, it comes back. I'm now trying to call uh, magazines and newspapers, and I'm touching base with radio stations so when it comes back to me, I can get it out, uh, you know, like for what I'm doing here, to get as yeah. many interviews as I can. And and when one, I mean, those are each one of them is a full time job, yeah. and I do that just for well, my you, stuff. You have to engineer these albums. You have to produce these albums. Yes, you, yeah. you've got to sit down and play all the parts. I mean, that's a lot to t- to juggle. That's a lot to take on. Yeah. it's like being a, a director, and you have to act in the film, and you have to, you know, be the producer, and you've got to you got to wear all those hats at once. Right. Yeah. You got you got to have a really big head to to wear a lot of hats. By the way, that's, that's, what, that's what I've been told. You seem very down to earth. Though. Well, it's one thing. Like, if one thing anybody will tell you is, I do not. <laughs> I do not have an ego. It becomes um, more humbling, I think, when you have to do so much after a while. Yeah. You lose your ego. And not only that, man. I Listen, I, I know exactly where I come from. Everyone thinks, you know, oh, he was up for a Grammy. That's so wonderful. Listen, I still have a day job. Yeah. Uh, my dad had a sixth grade education. My mother raised two boys by herself. So I know exactly where I come from. I grew up with people, and I know celebrities now that just seem to have a tendency to, to forget all that, and I can't wrap my head around it. Well, you got to work for a living. Yeah. Uh, hopefully that'll change. I hope your 21 Summers album, which is a great album, launches you into the stratosphere. Let's talk about that album for a second. It sure. was recorded right at your studio, JLS Sound. I'm sure that the sound of the album is the sound of your studio as well, because... You know, it's very indicative of the sound of an album when where you record it. I mean, that's a very important part of the whole process. 
how much of that sound of the album is manipulated to sound that way? I mean, certain guitar sounds, certain drum sounds. I thought the drum sound was great, and it was so solid and tight. I really thought it was a drum program, which is very popular to use right now. People sure. love that. Yeah, yeah. But it's not. That's you playing. Yeah, some of the really super difficult fills, I painted a little bit of fills in with MIDI. But, um, yeah, 90% of it is me playing. As far as the sound of the studio, I never like to get locked into one sound because of the the angles that you have or whatever treatment you have up. Mm-hmm. So I have a tendency to make the sound of the record be the sound of the instruments, meaning how am I going to tune the drums, what kind of heads am I going to use, what guitars am I going to use, am I going to drop tune the guitars, what amps am I going to use, am I going to use vintage amps or, or newer amps. Am I going to use virtual amps? Uh, you know, yeah, it's really specific. It's got a specific sound. I could tell it was right. done on purpose. It, yeah. It's very meticulous. It's yep. very well produced. Thank I'd love you. to give our listeners a little taste of what this album sounds like. Can we play something? Sure, absolutely. What would you like to play? You can start out with a song called uh, Not Satisfied. I think that's a good one to start with. That's one of my favorites. Let's do it. Cutting 
Just great, John. Now, this album, 21 Summers, where do you get that name from, by the way? Summer is my favorite season by far, even though we had a tremendously short summer this year. God, it was ace. But uh, I was 21 years old when I was diagnosed with uh, testicular cancer, and at the time, it was the number one killer in men from 18 to 35 as far as cancer goes. So I was prepared to go off to finish music school and then to go on further and all of a sudden they're talking about Sloan Kettering and um, you know surgery and, and subsequent treatments and and I'd lost my father to cancer when I was a kid. Lost My uncle became my father figure. I lost him then to cancer. Lost my mother to two forms of a leukemia and then I was diagnosed so here I'm ready to live and all of a sudden they gave me about a three-year window of survival and it just it scared the hell out of me it was crushing now the album was released in 2016 right yeah that mm-hmm. was a little bit of a while ago I know you're mm-hmm. working on one now yep. as well yeah oh, good musicians are always staying ahead 2016 then two years later I believe it is 2018 it became a Grammy contender correct no, it was a Grammy contender. No, it came out in 17. It was released in 2017? Yes, it okay. came out in 17, and then it was up for a Grammy that year, which the Grammys are always a year behind. So for the year of the 17, in 2018, which was the 59th Grammys, that's when it covered uh, 2017. So it was up for Best New Rock album. I see, so it's like the Academy Awards. You know? Exactly, yep. I understand that. So now, how does it become, how does it, you, you make an album in your studio, it becomes a Grammy contender. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? And, mm-hmm. and what does it mean to be a Grammy contender? Is that different than a nominee? Right. Um, the way it initially works, I recorded the record, released the record, and I didn't even think about the Recording Academy until halfway through recording the record. And I'm, I was just happened, I'm on, online one day and I'm looking through their their qualifications and what parameters they want from you. And I'm thinking, well, I've got that and I've got that and I've got that. So I basically applied for membership. <clears throat> and then I don't know how, I can't remember exactly. It was, it was a number of weeks. I got an email back from them and I was a little afraid to open it because I kind of pumped myself up thinking, I'm going to be in the recording academy. Then I'm thinking, no, you're probably not. You're your kid from Kingston, New York. Mm-hmm. So... And I got the email, and it said the first word was congratulations. I was like, wow. And it was, you know, they said based on your merit, you know, I got accepted into the academy. And then what you do is you release the record, and you you send it off to the academy with the application. The academy then, before anything can happen, they have to listen to it. They have to to approve everything and you're voted on to or voted off of the ballot and they'll say what ballot they believe you should be on and it was uh, for best new rock album so i was up against all the big guys you know on the huge record labels and here little old me with 21 summers and of course i didn't get it i didn't get the the nod but uh, my wife at the time she had come home and she had a bottle of champagne with her, and I said, well, what's that for? I, did, I didn't get the nod. And she put it into perspective. She says, but yet, how many people do you know from this area who put a record out all by themselves and did everything and, and got accepted into the Recording Academy and got voted onto the ballot for Best New Rock Album with all the majors? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's unbelievable, and you right. don't see that happening every day. And, and you're referring to the National Academy of Recording Arts and Sciences, right? Correct, Naris, yep. Now, do you get to vote on other contenders being yes. a member? Yep. And have you done that? Uh, yeah. Did you vote for your own record? 
uh, you you can't. You can't. They don't <laughs> yeah. do that. Well, that's not fair. Yeah, I know. I that's know. Not fair. Uh, do you remember any of the other ones you voted for? Oh God, I can't remember. I, did, honestly, did any of them win? Uh, I don't know. I I really can't remember. Well, screw them anyway. <laughs> let, let, let's play something else of yours <laughs> off of Twenty One Summers. Sure. Right now, check this out, everyone.
Your bio includes a lot of really interesting players. I don't know exactly who they are, but I know who they've played with. People like Van Morrison and even Bob Dylan, right? Sure. Are these session players you're talking about? And some of them were the actual people themselves, and some of them were uh, you know, members of the band. This just happened through years of playing. Because I used to, for many years, I would just grab my guitar... And I would hop on a train and I'd go to New York City. I've driven to Boston, Connecticut, and uh, you know, all New Jersey, you name it. And I would just show up at clubs. I'm here, I'd like to play. You know, like um, all these heavy hitter jams and stuff like that. And, and that's where I have a tendency to meet all. Like I played with um, uh, Keith Richards in Connecticut. Wow. Keith Richards. Keith Richards, yeah. He was pretty, he was pretty loaded at the time. <laughs> what was that band he was in? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, <laughs> the Stones. So I was always in, in a position that I always wound up playing like with super cool people. And, and Jose Feliciano was there that night, and I couldn't believe how well he played. I opened for him once. Yeah, he's some player, I'll tell you. Yeah, but I was always by myself. And I didn't know anyone because I would just go by myself. So I just I wasn't going to go up to a stranger and go, "Hey, can you take my picture?" What you know? Yeah, right. So I just and I'm not starstruck. So I was just yeah. up there. I just played with whoever I played with. So most of these connections are live. Do, have you ever brought any of these guys into the studio? No. Work with? Well, you don't need yeah, to. No, really. Yeah, unfortunately, I did drench Mick Jagger one evening with a, a Capri Sun. <laughs> Sit pouch. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I was in. Uh, I was mastering not this record, but the last one, Daylight Crashing. I mastered it in New York City. It was Avatar Sound. An engineer, engineer named Fred Kavorkian. No relation to the uh, <laughs> the other Kavorkian. But um, so he was telling me the whole session. He's like, you know, he says Aerosmith is coming. This was in August. I remember of that year. And he said, Aerosmith is coming in in September. Bruce Springsteen had walked past me as I was walking on the way out. I actually played at a New Jer- uh, radio station, and Bruce Springsteen was kind of in the doorway, nodding his head while I was playing acoustic. And I don't get starstruck, but with, with Bruce, I started no. sweating down my back a yeah, little. Springsteen. Okay. Yeah, but uh, so I'm so we go up to the studio roof for lunch. Uh, halfway through the, the the session so my back was to the entrance i heard this big metal door squeak open and i look at fred and he says hey fellas come on over and i turn around and it was uh steven tyler and, and mick jagger i was like oh my i got a little nervous mm. and mick jagger sat next to me and mm. tyler kind of sat there fred was across from me i don't smoke or drink and i just remember thinking i should have a scotch and i, I mean i i don't smoke but i uh, you know i I've, I've drank, <laughs> but I said to myself, I should have a cigarette in my hand. I should have a scotch, uh, you know, on the rocks. I, this should all be in black and white. <laughs> but I was acutely aware that I had one of those Capri Sun pouches. Mm-hmm. And Mick Jagger was talking, and I, I got so nervous when I poked the thing in the pouch. I didn't get my thumb on the straw. <laughs> so I squeezed, and it went... And I just, I soaked him. I wonder if this is why he's starting to look like Don Knotts (laughs) these days. And by the way, uh, Steven Tyler and Mick Jagger, we got two of the biggest mouths in in rock history. I was acutely aware of that. Yeah, (laughs) They did look like Don Knotts in the Fish movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember that movie. What was it, The the Great Mr. Limpet? Yes, that's exactly right. Most people don't know that movie. Yeah, yeah, it's a classic. So let's talk about producing for a second. Sure. I'm a a recording artist uh, to some degree as well, and I... For me, I've learned to produce my own material because it's so expensive hiring people that over a 30-year period, you just kind of learn how to produce yourself out of necessity. How did you learn how to do it? Probably the same way you did. I just, you know, I was learning slowly in college about production and post-production. 
And then uh, I can't remember how old I was. I might have been a, a teenager when I went to, I hired a guy that I know, Eddie Flick, good friend of mine. He had a studio in Port Ewan. Hired him to, to engineer some of my stuff, some of my earlier stuff, which was just atrocious. I look back on it now. But I would learn from Eddie different, uh, you know, recording techniques and miking and, and production, post-production. And then slowly, you know, through the years, I would get, I remember I got, a, a reverb unit. I think it was a Tascam four-track tape recorder. I had one myself. They yeah. were really popular. Yeah, the, the Porta 04, I think it was, and uh, and, and a microphone. And that's how I started. Then I, you know, I thought back then I got my own studio ready to go. So and so I started learning back then about bouncing and and that kind of thing. And as as years went on, I would just add another piece of outboard gear, another piece, another musical instrument, and then get a bigger and bigger console until until I wound up just you know having doing everything in the box. Would you like to produce other people? Yeah, I think I would, sure. But I think I have a tendency to I'm very OCD with that kind of stuff. I think I'd be the kind of the pain in the ass guy who give me the guitar, I'll, I'll show you how we're going to do it. And then I wind up wanting to record all the parts, you know. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of why I just do everything myself. I don't write with other people. I Tom Waits said it beautifully. Uh, I love Tom Waits. Somebody asked him if he ever writes with anyone else and he said letting or he said writing with somebody is like letting somebody just sit there and watch me take a bath. And that, to me, really, that's... If I'm going to write a song about the feelings I had of abandonment when my dad died when I was nine, and I'm going to bring Rusty in on it, it makes no sense, because what does Rusty know about what I'm going through, you know? Yeah, I can't write with anybody else around. Yeah. It's got to be... It's a very personal thing. It's a very personal thing. Yeah. Now, your 21 Summers album... Very personal album, yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. There's some love songs on there, I'll call them. Kind of dark. Mm -hmm. Does this album have a theme in your mind? I guess, again, you know, like the song No Hero is is directly in relation to being diagnosed with cancer. Uh, And then those themes of, of fear and anxiety and abandonment, loss, weave their way through the whole record, but not necessarily every single song about cancer you know i went through a divorce uh there's a lot of that that runs through there yeah so the the, god rest my mom's soul she used to say to me all the time why don't you write happier songs (laughs) and this is just what i write on i think more than anything it's catharsis do you feel strife makes for better records oh without question without question i was in new york city one time and i was sitting next to uh, rob uh thomas from matchbox 20 and I asked him, I said, how do you handle when people say to you, write happier songs? And I'll never forget what he said to me. He says, when I'm happy, I'm out living. I'm not writing songs, I'm out living. And then I said, well, that makes sense. You know, you, if you're pissed off about something or you're angry or you're crushed because you went through something heart-wrenching, and that's when you write. I've never been able to write a love song. I tried. I can't write love songs that are nice love songs when you're with somebody. Because mm-hmm. they just, for me, they... they they sound like a Hallmark card. Yeah. And they ju- they don't turn out well for me. Yeah, your love songs are not trite. I mean, they're, they're, they've got an edge to them, I noticed. Yeah, and they're loss. What's your process when you write? Because everybody's different. You know, Elton John writes the music. Mm-hmm. Once he gets Bernie Toppin's page of lyrics, Billy Joel said he dreams abstract colors and shapes, and mm-hmm. he turns them into music when he sits mm-hmm. at his piano. Everybody's different. For me, I, I can write a song every day 
if it weren't for the damn lyrics. Uh, mm. they, they slow me down. It takes right. me sometimes a week or a month or, or more right. to write the lyrics. Mm -hmm. Does anything hang you up when you're <clears throat> writing? I've been very lucky that I've been prolific. Nothing. If I do get hung up on something, it's usually because it sucks and I throw it out. <clears throat> I've, I've thrown out so much stuff through the years because for me, every, everything that is good just, just, just flows out. Uh, and I think that's that's what has worked for me. I hear music in my head all the time. I can sing something I'm hearing for you right now, but I, I hear melodies in my head. I usually sit down at an instrument. I've never sat down to write a song. I've never sat. I've never picked an instrument up and said, "I'm going to write a song right now." I'll pick a guitar up and I'll just start doing something. And mm. if it and if it doesn't feel right, I put the guitar down. If I pick it up and I just start doing something simple some little simple riff or a simple chord progression <clears throat> and it sounds good i keep doing it wow, and then as i'm doing it then i'll hum like a melody you know mm -hmm, and i'll just hum something and that's what comes first so the chords will come first then i'll hum a melody then once i have a melody that has a rhythm to it then i'll think okay what am i going to write about uh okay i went through a divorce boom and i'll start plugging lyrics into that rhythmic melody and it usually it works really well for me. I got to chase after it all the time. I'll try to write. I'll sit down. And I will sit on my bed and mm -hmm. grab my guitar and write for an hour. And nothing comes. So I'll do it again the next day. And nothing comes. And I'll mm -hmm. do it again the next day. But then I find by day four or five, things start to flow. Yeah. I, I kind of have to get a running start in a way. Sure. And then all of a sudden the juices start flowing and then it, mm -hmm. then it starts coming. Yeah. What I've noticed for myself is... Years ago, when I first started recording, I was so consumed with what other musicians would think. So my solos were always, you know, I was trying to be technically proficient and I was doing all the hammer-ons and taps and all that kind of stuff. As I've gotten older and from one big thing I've learned at the jams, and I've, I've known a lot of players who can burn, they're amazing players, but they can't sing for damn. Mm -hmm. And they get up and they, they'll... They're burning, and as soon as they start singing, I would watch the audience. Everybody would go, and they turn around, and they start drinking and talking to people. And what I've learned through the years is people want to hear a song. That's it. They want to hear a, a simple melody, a, a, a great beat to it, and it that's something that they can sing along. Like, I got a song on the, the last record called Spent. And there's no chorus. There's no words in the chorus. It's just na 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 in, in three and four part harmonies. And because it's so simplistic, but it's got a nice hook. Everywhere we're going, I'm watching people sing on the on the on the hook, sing the na nas. And that's what I've learned through the years is people want to hear a song they can relate with. That's a great insight, John. You gotta keep it simple. Yeah. Well, there's lots of juices flowing on twenty one summers. Let's play something else. Sure.
Yeah, that was called Fade. I get asked a lot about that. Again, because I told you earlier that I that I, I don't have an ego and I really don't. I know a lot of people in the business and, and they have inflated egos and everything. And it's kind of almost a, a nod at the inflated egos. But I put myself into it and what the song is basically like, what it feels like to be a king that like wears a plastic crown. You know, the one lyric in there, you know, I'll just I'll tell them all to go to hell while I fade alone in this motel. To me, that that because I've been on the road for many many years and I've I've stayed in some dumps. I've been borderline homeless at times, and that I can smell the air in that fictitious room that I talk about. You know, I can just see myself sitting there, you know, all high and mighty. Well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that, and with the glow of the television from just a cheap shitty hotel room, and I'll tell everybody to go to hell as I sit there fading away, you know. That's a great image. Uh, It's a great song. And I'm having a great time just sitting and talking to you about music and about your career. But as always, we've run out of time. So I have to ask you, because you are a a two-parter, if ever there was one, (laughs) would you be willing to come back and continue this conversation? I would absolutely love to come back, Rick. Uh, I would love to have you back next week. Sure. We'll pick it up then. Very nice to meet you, John. You as well. Thanks so much for being here today. Well, thank you guys for having me. I truly appreciate it. You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, produced every week by Rusty Johnson. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, and this way, each week, we can send you notifications as when the new podcast is going to go up. Don't forget to come back next week. John David Schrader is going to be here, and you're not going to want to miss it. So we'll see you then. (music) 